I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. So glad you've joined us today, or rather, you've joined this recording. Today is a pre-recorded show because today is my 11th wedding anniversary together with my darling bride. Tomorrow is our sixth anniversary of coming into full communion with the church, and so we're out on a date. But have no fear, we sat down yesterday in the studio and had a conversation about what these last 11 years have meant to us. So we are joined in studio today by my beloved bride, Kristen Putnam. Kristen, thank you for being on the show today. Of course, darling. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for letting me have a show today since it's our... (laughs) since it's our anniversary. Right. So uh, I wanted to talk today uh, just a little differently than normal, because most of the time we're uh, really digging into the faith, and today I want to do more of reflection. I want to look at these last 11 years, uh, which don't feel like 11 years. No, it doesn't. And yet, at the same time, it feels like forever, and that I don't remember as much what life was like before being with you. It's like, I've just always been with you. That's going to be hard to reflect on (laughs) the differences if you don't remember. It might be. I'll try my best. That's all right. So we wanted to spend some time inviting you into our conversation as we reflect here on these 11 years. Uh, Coming up, this is our fifth year, sixth year in the church. Yes. uh, On the 21st. Six years uh, as Catholics, 11 years as... Uh, so we, here, hey, we have been... We've been Catholic longer in our married life than we weren't. There you go. Hey, we've... That's we've a new a, revelation. Got a little milestone there. That's good. Uh, and and honestly, that feels like forever as well. It does. Uh, to think back... I remember when we first became Catholic, there was this sense of... We, we fully believed it. We said, I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church is, uh, believes... Uh, professes and proclaims to be re- teaches and proclaims to be revealed by God, and we knew it, and we said it, and we were happy with it. And then, for like a year or two, we'd look at each other and go, "We're Catholic." <laughs> there seemed to be so much wrapped up in those words of those preconceptions that you had before you were Catholic that all of a sudden you're taking on that mantle of that which you didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have no problem with any of what that actually entailed. Right. But still saying the words felt odd. It did. It's weird. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, here we are at 11 years. We're we're at that stage now where people uh, who are getting married actually look at us with somewhat a sense of, oh, they they know what they're doing. Uh, (laughs) Which is uh, interesting, I think, because it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Mm-hmm. But here we are. I want you to reflect back to that time when you were getting ready to get married, which you said you can't remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can remember parts of it. And I want you to think about what your conception of marriage was. And what what has been revealed to you about what marriage is that, is different, whether that be more full or maybe there was something you were expecting that, that wasn't there. Uh, what has, what have you experienced in marriage? <laughs> well, you know, I remember always wanting to get married. There was, you know, that romantic Disney, they lived happily ever after 
thing that you wanted to attain, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but at the same time, along with having that, I feel like we came into marriage with very good expectations as far as we weren't blindsided by a whole lot of things. And I think that's partially because of our marriage prep process, which was quite limited, actually. And, and but, not Catholic. And not Catholic. Um, but, you know, there's still that you go into the vows and you know what you're going to say and you know the for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, from sickness and health. And you believe all of those things and you you mean all of those things. I think that in general, I did not anticipate a lot of the difficulties that we would encounter in circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of those blindsided us rather quickly um, in marriage. And so it's like, I think some of the, the four worses that came along with things were surprising how you just deal with them. And, and that's just kind of in general, not just with our marriage, but just, I don't know, maybe it's just part of getting older. <laughs> but You're bringing this up and you're giving me the, the little glint in your eye. Uh, you, in our first year of marriage, you, you got one of our wedding pictures and you framed it in a kind of a book kind of picture frame, two frames that on a hinge. And you put one of our, our, mar- our wedding pictures in one side. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you did this calligraphy-ish kind of thing where you wrote out the vows and put them in the other side. I did. And for, I mean, I, I, it was lovely. It's still out uh, on our entertainment center. And I look at that often. And I, I thought, well, that's just really lovely. And I come to find out like 10 years in, like last year, there was a reason that you did that in our first year of marriage. You know, our first year, I had just graduated college. Two weeks later, we got married. And so I was already moving from college to where you were working Mm -hmm. in Arkansas at the time. And so we had a lot of transitions in that first year. That first one was expected. Right. Um, But we ended up moving with that first move for me. I think I moved four times Mm -hmm. in that first year. Quite big moves, not just like across town, but across the country mm-hmm. kind of moves. And that was difficult. And the some of the people that we encountered and some of the circumstances that surrounded those moves were hard. And it was like a smack in the face of like, this is real life. You know, you're out of college now. Hello. Um, but and so, you know, I was reflecting on that of just this is what I vowed. And I, you know, it wasn't that I was wanting to like run away from that. It was just that like that extra down deep reach into the gritties and hold on to that. This is what I vowed. <laughs> you know, I the, I think one of the things that surprised me about marriage is I expected a lot of the turmoil to be um, interpersonal, mm. that it was going to be uh, two personalities trying to mesh and, and butt up against one another and find mm-hmm. their place. In fact, I remember when I was probably third or fourth grade, I was reading through the, the Anne of Green Gables books, which uh, our our daughter is now reading. Yes. And I got towards the end, and here you have these two people, Anne and Gilbert, these characters in the book, and they're married, and they never fight. And I remember saying, this is so unrealistic, and I expressed this to my my parents. 
that this this is such a fake book because these people never fight. Uh, and I expected uh, that that was going to be part of our experience in marriage. Well, and you you grow up hearing that. I mean, it's a you know you it's a good thing to fight in marriage. It's you know you've got to fight and you got to fight and you got to fight fair and you can't you can't shove it down. You have to express it. Right, which is good. Right. You don't want to shove things down. I've been surprised but, at the fact that we don't fight. We don't fight. Now, it's not that we never disagree. Mm-hmm. We disagree plenty. <laughs> but Wait, but, what? <laughs> <laughs> over the last 11 years, oh. there have been plenty of disagreements. But they've never turned into a knockdown, drag out. We need to sit here and yell at each other and throw things across the room and Fight it out, you know, uh-huh. let the sun go down on your anger, all that stuff. And it hasn't been that. We've somehow learned to communicate through disagreements to a place where we can either come to agree or one of us can live with the the <laughs> outcome and be okay with that. You know, you bring this up and we talked about this when we taught pre-Cana um, back in Tulsa. Uh, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And a lot of people mm-hmm. use that as this excuse to stay up late and and fight it out, and, and they're not going to go to sleep until they come to a resolution. And really, that's an awful way to go about things because lack of sleep does not really help with our cognitive function in, in being rational and kind to the other person. To, At all. To recognize that, hey, this other person, while I disagree with them, this is the person I married, who I love, who I who I have vowed myself to. And so I, we remind people in that, that you don't let the sun go down on your anger. Not necessarily don't let the sun go down on your disagreement or on your argument. You just get to the place where you can say, you know, we need to take some time where we can have this discussion in a productive manner, and that's not going to happen while we're tired. So I'm going to say right now that I'm not angry at you. Let's go to sleep and let's put it on the calendar for when we can finish this discussion. And, you know, that takes a lot of trust, and it also takes a lot of um, a willingness to put the person above the fight, to put the person above the argument, and to remember that while this thing that you're talking about, it's important, Mm -hmm. but it's not so important that you need to just be angry and seethe about it, that that will not help. (laughs) <laughs> and and it will not help your relationship mesh the way that it's supposed to mesh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, taking a break off of a fight, it's hard to do, but... But to trust that the other person uh, who you're married to, even if you disagree, you trust them to love you. Right. You trust them that they're going to have, to some extent, they're going to have your best in mind. Mm-hmm. We're joined in studio today by my beloved bride, Kristen Putnam. We've been married for 11 years today. And so we're sharing that with you in this very relaxed conversation, a little bit different than our normal shows. We're going to talk for three segments, just the two of us. Of course, you're welcome to come along. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come. In the meantime, join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're here today with a little bit of a different show. It's uh, it's my 11th anniversary with my bride, and uh, tomorrow is the sixth anniversary of our entrance into the Catholic Church. We're sitting here in studio today with my darling bride, Kristen Thank you for taking the time and having this conversation. Always. It's fun to be back here with you. So we're reflecting on our marriage, and we're inviting you to to participate in that. It is a little bit of a different format today than we've done previously on the show. Uh, and I appreciate that you're allowing me to do that. You're listening in. Uh, and next week, we'll be back to normal. Uh, but right now, I wanted to take some time to reflect on on what these last 11 years have have meant and I, you know, in the last segment, you talked about your expectations of marriage, and I wanted to talk a little bit about about mine. Um, I came into uh, you know high school and and college and graduate school expecting that I was going to find someone who would complete me, and in some sense that I would find someone who would fix those things in me that felt broken or felt um, uh, lacking. And so here I was looking for basically a Stepford wife in my mind, this, this perfect picture uh, on the outside that basically was a carbon copy of me who had all my same desires and all my same passions and all my same hobbies, and we could do things together. And it, would, it was almost like having a pet was this idea. Uh, and, you know, I look at it now and it's, it's horrific to think about <laughs> But there was really that that picture that marriage was going to be uh, fulfilling to me, and that the the person I was marrying wasn't. I mean, there was no person to to impose this on. But there was no conception of the fact that there was a person behind that, a with somebody else, a somebody else with their own thoughts and passions and and dreams and and things that they would like to do that would drive me nuts, right? <laughs> Like listen to Disney music. In I the was house. about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which it used to be country music, so I think Disney's a step up. We're doing well. Good. Yes, we're on the yeah, way up. I we are on the way up. But um, <laughs> but now we have children, and they like Disney music, and so they sing it everywhere. Set. Oh my goodness! So you know, when I'm at work, you listen to it with the kids, and every time I get out of the car, they're like, "Can we listen to Disney music now?" Because mm-hmm. Dad's gone. Right. So this idea that there would be someone out there who was different and who, and with whom I would, even though, as I said in the last segment, I had this picture that there would be conflict, at the same time, my expectation was that the how could there be conflict? Because we're exactly alike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somewhere along graduate school, um, uh, I heard some good teaching on this. I had someone mentor me in this. Uh, and then one day I was sitting in class and all of a sudden everything snapped into place that I needed to be made ready uh, for the person I was going to marry rather than the other way around. I wasn't waiting for God to bring the right person to me, mm. which it was my kind of that soulmate idea of there's one person and God, where are they? And now I'm in grad school and I'm getting old and decrepit because, you know, <laughs> when you expect to get married and in, in or right out of college and, and you don't, it's distressing. 
And so here I am, I'm, I'm waiting for that one person, that one who will make everything perfect. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden I realized that, um, I'm not waiting on the one person I'm waiting until I'm really worthy to be someone's husband. Cause I was not at all. Uh, and in that process of recognizing the other, of seeing the other and realizing that I was going to have to have some sacrifice for them, that was really the turning point for me. And I think it was a turning point a lot in the way that we have ended up interacting because it's easy to, to fight and dig in your heels and stake your claim when the person you're arguing with is an idea, right? Mm. I'm, I'm arguing with your position and your position is, since it's counter to me, it is, uh, it's the enemy. So now, now you are wrapped up in that you're the, you're not the person, you're the position and, and that's an op- opposition to me. Mm-hmm. And, and we lose sight of the fact that there's a whole other person with their own passions and ideas and desires and, and they hold this with just as much emotion as I hold my position. And so I think out of recognizing that person instead of that position, there's a tenderness that, that is engendered because mm-hmm. now, because now it's you, it's Kristen, it's the woman that I married. Uh, and now I have to wrestle with why do you think this thing that, that I disagree with rather than, well, it's just wrong and you need to come and mm-hmm. snap, snap. You know, tenderness is something that I have really grown to appreciate about our relationship and about our marriage because it's one of those things that I didn't know I needed. It was one of those things that I, in all the pictures of marriage and all the journaling that I did, that was not something that I thought of as important. But thinking about it now and thinking about having a lack of that and learning more about myself as I've grown up in my adulthood and realizing how crushing that would be for me if it didn't happen in our relationship. And, you know, some of that really goes back to, um, you know, growing up and specifically in high school, uh, there was a lot of sarcasm around. And I think sarcasm was, at least in my world, it was just kind of coming into vogue. I'm sure maybe it was there before, but <laughs> it's but been around for a in while. In my yes. understanding of the world, that is when people started really wanting to be sarcastic. And that was the height of wit. And that was how you interacted with people. And it was a way to be able to say something and add kind of a just kidding. But then you you know that what they said, they probably really mean. And, And so, you know, it wasn't a just kidding. And so it's like for me, for being a person who is really trying to be very genuine, I didn't know what to do with sarcasm because, you know, it's like you say something, you should mean it <laughs> and you, and it shouldn't be, a, oh, well, just kidding. Oh, but maybe you do mean it. And whoa, that was really mean. Um, you know, and so coming out of that and wanting to continue to be a genuine person, you know, I see these different T-shirts or memes and things that are out there that are like sarcasm is my love language. And I see that and I just cringe because I know that there are plenty of people that are sarcastic out there and and I guess if that works for you well, but I don't know it's like it just it seems so 
it doesn't take into consideration the other person and right. that genuine base level relationship that you need to have with them, specifically with a spouse. Well, I'll talk about um, my, you know, growing up, I was the youngest. I had two older brothers and they were stronger than me and they were faster than me. And if they wanted to to get their licks in, they would do it in that way. And I knew that I couldn't compete with that. And so I learned uh, to be very sarcastic. And I could, man, I knew how to make my words cut and make them hurt because I knew that was the only way I was going to get anything in, mm -hmm. in a fight. And so in a sense, that kind of sarcasm and that kind of uh, humor, it's an attempt to empower oneself at the expense of the other. Yeah. Right? And so I remember the, the time that I, uh, before we met, that I realized the, the, the strength and the power of avoiding completely sarcasm. It, it completely changed the way that I interacted with people, which was hard. But I was uh, visiting the, the home of a friend and the father was talking to the kids at dinner uh, and they were, you know, they were older kids. And he asked them how their day was and one person said that they, they got an A on their their like completely non-important test that they had had that day. And he was like, well, that's really great. I'm really proud of you. My first thought was, wow, what, what a sarcastic, why would you, why would you make light of the fact that they did this unimportant thing? And then I realized he was being serious <laughs> and he was building this person up for their small achievement. And, and I saw the power in those words and in the, in the, in that genuineness, instead of using words to lift oneself up at the expense of the other, he was in, in one sense really being humble and lifting up the other. Mm -hmm. And that kind of empowerment, all of a sudden, that that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do everywhere. And so for the most part, uh, since that time, I've completely avoided sarcasm, which makes mm -hmm. me really boring at parties. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it's really strengthened the way that we interact. I think so. And I think I mean, that's a total God thing that you had that experience before you met me. Because <laughs> um, we, we had a rough go at the beginning of things anyway, but I think that that really would not have helped yeah. um, at all because it's just in a world where there's so much to hide behind, mm -hmm. to be able to be genuine and to, to want to be genuine with everyone, but specifically with one spouse. And even in the way that you talk about one spouse to Facebook, to the greater right. world, because that's kind of where a lot of the uh, the complaining seems to happen now. Um, it's not necessarily in face-to-face -face interactions, but you know, you're know you emboldened by the fact that you're behind a keyboard to say this or that about, uh, well, that was no help, you know, online. And it just, there's so many things that could build walls and create distance between spouses. And keeping that tenderness and that genuine interaction can help strengthen your marriage so much. Here we are on our 11th anniversary, my wife and I, sitting here reflecting on what the years have brought us. We're going to continue this conversation just after the break. Don't go anywhere. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Falls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and uh, <laughs> the things that make you laugh. We're sitting here in the uh, in the studio with my darling bride of 11 years. Hello. Kristen Putnam, thank you for being here today. Of course. And we're, we're reflecting. It's a different show today. Uh, we're reflecting rather than exploring. We're reflecting on our uh, 11 years together and uh, what our expectations of marriage were and how that was different, how it's been different than what we've actually experienced. Uh, and and for, most, for most of that, it's been for better. Uh, we have had some, some difficult times, but I think what the difficult times have taught us, one, is that most of the difficulty is external. Uh, that we've experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful because <laughs> because I can see you as someone now who who who's standing with me and I can stand with mm-hmm. against everything else. But even that's not a foregone conclusion because there are plenty of people who experience external stresses and turn on one another. Mm-hmm. And your your strength of character, your uh, your quick quickness to forgive, whatever it is, uh, we have been able to, uh, to stand together in the midst of job loss, in the midst of miscarriage, in the midst of um, family strife, external family strife, mm-hmm. uh, in a way where it, it could conceivably be very easy to kind of turn in on yourself and batten down your own hatches and instead, we've battened those hatches together mm-hmm. and been truly in the same boat. Yeah. You know, I think that some of that may have come from, you know, we learned early on how to communicate with mm-hmm. one another and what we were going through and not to stuff emotions down. Um, and part of that, you know, we talked about in the last segment, being genuine and genuinely interacting with one another and I don't know maybe that helped as well but from that from early on I mean that first year I mean it was it was us against everybody else <laughs> and um you know this and, and, is Sparta <laughs> <laughs> right but it has been and it you know I think that going through the different things that we've gone through it's like we have allowed each other space and I think that's something that maybe we've learned as time has gone on a little bit better maybe to experience what we're experiencing and let that be okay. Mm-hmm. That was something for you because you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I'm like, well, right. feel what you're feeling. And then but is it right? <laughs> is this a healthy interaction? Is this psychoanalyzing myself? And it's not helping. Um, so yeah, that's something that I guess maybe I've had to learn as you well. Had, you've had to, to learn that. To be and to feel and for that to be okay for the moment. The thing that I've had to learn is that I can't just have a conversation with you. That yes. I, I'm the verbal processor, as everyone who listens to this show on a regular basis <laughs> is fully aware of. I have no problem uh, talking off the cuff. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that if I'm going to have a conversation with you about something that's really important, that I've got to give you at least half an hour heads up, if not yes. more. So I can figure it out because I am not a verbal processor at all. I'll sit here and say, so what are you thinking? And she just kind of looks at me like, like I don't know. and you know, I talk, was talking to the kids about this the other day of which we have six and another one coming. Uh, and I was saying, you know, who thinks in words and who thinks in pictures? And, um, I think in words, like if I'm going to think, I even if I have 
a very complex thought, I think in the paragraph and I just see the whole paragraph at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can express those words very easily because I just look at the blackboard in my head with all the words on it and say it. And you're and not I, that way. I am not that way. Like I, if I'm going to think about words, it is best for me to write them down. If I can journal them out, then all of a sudden the words take shape. But inside my head, it's just flashes of understanding that kind of go together <laughs> and, <laughs> and trying to pick that apart in a way to be able to express it to someone else takes time. And it takes time of what pieces of this are actually important to this discussion and what pieces can be left out. And But it's a, it's a different thing to be able for me to say, okay, this is really important and we really need to talk about it. So I'll see you in about two and a half hours. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I have to figure out what do I actually think about what he just asked me or mm-hmm. said. I remember one of the first times uh, that, this, that this came up. Uh, well, a couple of them, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one was we're when we were still when you had not yet admitted that we were dating. Yes, that and we're driving. Time. We're driving down the road, and I have this epiphany, and, and I oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have this epiphany, and I say, "This is what marriage is." Now, this is the first time you've ever let me take you anywhere, right? Yes, I was letting you take me back to campus, but we were just friends, we and I made sure friends. that you knew we were just friends. And and I'm just having this epiphany, completely unrelated to you, except for the fact that you're in the car, and you you just kind of whip that head around. It's like, excuse me. Because in my mind, you say things after you've thought them through and they make sense. And this is a good time to express a thought. And, that would and out he comes with, this is what marriage is. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're just friends. So here I am. Uh, I, this is what marriage is. It's, it's not those high, amazing, uh, memeable, uh, you know, adventures mm-hmm. of, of romance and, and whatever else. It's, it's driving down the road in the, in the middle of the night, just doing life together. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, you know, a pretty advanced, complex thought about marriage that I think even those that come into marriage, maybe you're not expecting. That's one thing that we were really Prepared for. Prepared for. And because well, of and that wanting, conversation because in the of car. that conversation. But we would express that to the uh, the folks in pre-Cana as we did those, talking to them about how, you know, you still have life to do. Still got to brush your teeth. You still st- got to take out the trash. Yeah. All of that stuff keeps on going and that's mm-hmm. okay. And that's normal. Don't expect to be living on the mountaintop. You can't. Not not forever. Not forever. You have moments and enjoy those moments for what they are is special and don't let normal life get you discontent because it's normal right. and that's a good thing. So the other one of these conversations that just kind of got brought up in um, uh, where I was processing verbally and you were not. Uh, <laughs> because I can't. Because you can't. Yes. Uh, we were driving back from visiting family. We were engaged at this point in time. Yes. And uh, we had met some some Catholics who were very passionate about their faith. They uh, they'd not been Catholics long. They they had been at seminary with me, uh, and they brought up uh, natural family planning, and we talked about it with them a little bit. And something you know. As a Protestant, it's not really a big deal. Nobody expects this. I think that was this. a conversation you had with them. I don't think that I okay. was part of that. So, anyway, so this is blindsiding. Apparently, this is blindsiding. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this because 
uh, it's, I've never thought of this before, but I saw the difference it made in their life. And so we're driving back, 13-hour drive, sitting in the car, because this is the perfect time to bring stuff up. Uh, and I look over and I say, you know, I really think that we ought to explore the idea of using natural family planning in our marriage. And you cried for like 30 miles. <laughs> I did. I cried. And, and you know, once that genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back. You're like, I'm sorry. No, just calm down. It's okay. No, just quit. Um, how do you, and I'm not married yet. I have no idea how to make her stop crying. I just have to endure it. And so this was also training in righteousness and holiness because right. I, I had to learn to let you cry and stay on my side of the car. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Yes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even know what that is exactly, but I don't think it works. And I'm getting married very young anyway. And at least I was thinking very right. young at the time. But anyway, and so I'm going to get pregnant right away. And this is not, I'm not ready for that. And I can't do that. And, blah. and so I finally. Well, you said you would pray about it, which, well, was, which I took to mean I that did. you would pray about it. Right, we talk all this genuine stuff, which I, <laughs> I think that I meant to, but I really just wanted to stop talking about it. I just was <laughs> done and was like, we need to shut down this conversation right now. And so a couple of weeks later, you followed up with me and asked, well, have you been praying about it? I said, no, <laughs> no, I have not. So I don't know how we did this, but eventually I, I convinced you to go to an info session with me and like the closest person to us was two hours away. Right. Yeah, it was a bit of a commitment to say, okay, fine, I'm, we're going to go. <laughs> because it meant another car ride with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where all manner of seriousness gets discussed. So so we went to this session, and I fell in love with it immediately upon realizing that this is actually scientifically researched and valid, mm -hmm. and it's not just a guessing game, and it's not just hocus-pocus. Like, it actually has... <laughs> backing. And, you know, from that conversation, I went from being obviously completely against, against it. it to it really became my life's passion. Um, and so was able to pursue it and I loved doing it and practicing it and then was able to pursue teaching. And now I'm on uh, the national board for the Billings Ovulation Method. I love it. And um, I love being able to supervise other teachers and to help them in their journey. And I just continue researching and learning. And you opened up this whole side of me that was very analytic that I don't mm -hmm. think I knew that I had because I was a very creative person and I still am. But but I like to analyze and research. And this was the avenue by which to do it. So, um, you know, out there listening, if you have any questions about the validness of natural family planning, that it works, any of that, come on over to nfpaware.com. You can send me an email, kputnam at nfpaware.com, and I would be very happy to talk with you about that. And all of our kids, yes, we do have many, all of them were on purpose. They were. They were, all, were. Planned. They were all planned at least 10 minutes in advance. Well, we've been talking today with my darling bride here on the occasion of our 11th anniversary. It's been a little bit of a different show today. But when we come back, we're going to approach scripture and reading from the church. Like always, thanks for being here. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and I want to thank you if you've put up with this. Uh, today's been a little bit different of a show, and uh, it's kind of a nostalgic one for me. Here I am on the uh, 11th anniversary of my wedding. And so yesterday I sat down with my beloved bride in studio, and we just reflected. We sat and conversed and invited you basically into our living room as we shared with one another some of our memories, uh, some of our expectations, and, and reflected on what this life together has meant. Now, if you joined us a little late or if you, you want to share this show with someone else, well, this show and every other show we've done is archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just go over there and click on the episode archive. And uh, you can scroll through all the guests. Of course, Kristen's joined us a few times on the show, so you can click her name there on the sidebar and see this and the other shows she's done. Now, if you have a, a wonderful marriage, I want to encourage you to share it, to, to find those people who are just approaching marriage. They're just getting ready to get married. And share your life with them. Invite them over to your home for dinner. Uh, spend time maybe in the mentorship ministry in your church as people are preparing for marriage. Because we have this pandemic in our culture uh, of broken families. And these people who are, these young people who are approaching marriage, they, they need positive examples. Just like me sitting down in that home of a friend and watching that father interact in, a, in an incredibly healthy way. Um, and having that really change my life for the better. Uh, we need that. Young couples approaching marriage need to see healthy, successful marriages. Uh, and so I want to I encourage you, don't keep your good marriage a secret. Make sure that it's out there and that it's seen. Uh, because even, even just people observing you uh, at mass or observing you out in public as you publicly live your healthy marriage, um, that contributes to other people's marriage preparation. They need to see healthy examples before they can trust that they want to get married themselves. Honestly, this is one of the reasons that we see marriage declining. It's not that relationships are declining. It's that people don't trust the, the union of marriage to be stable and secure and life-giving in the, the non-fertile capacity of it, but life-giving in the sense that it gives life to our souls. And so I encourage you to make your healthy marriage visible. Uh, and if you are approaching marriage, if you're not sure what you're doing here, uh, I want to encourage you to find people who have a healthy marriage and sit down with them and, and ask them questions. Because so much of what culture teaches us marriage is – uh, is incomplete. Maybe there's some truth to it, but it's just incomplete. And so there are so many good things out there. Uh, there's the the focus test, that the, the inventory that helps uh, new couples think of questions they wouldn't think to ask on their own. There's marriage mentorship programs. There's tons of excellent pre-cana programs. Um, but find find someone who you can look up to, whose marriage you admire. And I think that's probably one of the best things that you can do as you look to get married, uh, is to find someone that you admire and who you can emulate in your married life. Today, as we approach Scripture, I'm going to read that Scripture that you hear at every wedding, but I want to put a little different spin on it. 
here in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to look at this not as a poem or a or a sonnet about marriage, but rather as a definition, a litmus test by which we can look at our own actions and and determine whether or not they are loving. So listen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That reading from 1 Corinthians 13 can really serve for us as a litmus test, uh, a definition by which we can hold up our own actions and say, am I being loving? Well, am I being patient and kind? Am I insisting on my own way? Am I rejoicing over wrong and not with the truth, right? We can look at that and look at our own actions and see where we are succeeding in love and where maybe we are falling short in love. And then ask the Holy Spirit who God put in us through baptism and and in a more full way in confirmation, ask him to give us the strength to live out love because love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We see in the book of Galatians. And so we ask through the graces of the sacrament that God would give us the strength more fully to love our spouses and our children and those people who we come in contact with every day, but in a special way, in a very special way, our spouses. For today's reading from church history, we're not going to go back too far, uh, just to 1962 to the old ritual Romanum. There's an exhortation to married couples right before the, the vows by Archbishop William Brady that that's just lovely. And so we're going to take some time today and to look over those together. And So let's listen. My dear friends, you are about to enter upon a union which is most sacred and most serious. It is most sacred because it is established by God himself. By it, he gave to man a share in the greatest work of creation, the work of the continuation of the human race. And in this way, he sanctified human love and enabled man and woman to help each other live as children of God by sharing a common life under his fatherly care. Because God himself is thus its author, marriage is, of its very nature, a holy institution, requiring of those who enter it a complete and unreserved giving of self. But Christ our Lord added to the holiness of marriage an even deeper meaning and a higher beauty. He referred to the love of marriage to describe his own love for his church that is, for the people of God, whom he redeemed by his own blood. And so he gave to Christians a new vision of what married love ought to be, a life of self-sacrificing love like his own. It is for this reason that his apostle St. Paul clearly states that marriage is now and for all time to be considered a great mystery, intimately bound up with a supernatural union of Christ and the Church, which union is also to be its pattern. This union then is most serious because it will bind you together for life in a relationship so close and so intimate that it will profoundly influence your whole future. That future with its hopes and disappointments, its successes and its failures, its pleasures and its pains, its joys and its sorrows is hidden from your eyes. You know that these elements are mingled in every life and are to be expected in your own. And so, not knowing what is before you, you take each other, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, 
in sickness and health until death. Truly, then, these words are most serious. It's a beautiful tribute to your undoubted faith in each other that recognizing their full import, you are nevertheless so willing and ready to pronounce them. And because these words involve such solemn obligations, it is most fitting that you rest the security of your wedded life upon the great principle of self-sacrifice. And so you begin your married life by the voluntary and complete surrender of your individual lives in the interest of that deeper and wider life which you are to have in common. Henceforth, you will belong entirely to each other. You will be one in mind, one in heart, and one in affections. And whatever sacrifices you may hereafter be required to make to preserve this mutual life, always make them generously. Sacrifice is usually difficult and irksome. Only love can make it easy, and perfect love can make it a joy. We are willing to give in proportion as we love. And when love is perfect, the sacrifice is complete. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and the Son so loved us that he gave himself for our salvation. Greater love than this hath no man than he laid down his life for his friends. No greater blessing can come to your married life than pure conjugal love, loyal and true to the end. May then this love with which you join your hands and hearts today never fail, but grow deeper and stronger as the years go on. And if true love and the unselfish spirit of perfect sacrifice guide your every action, you can expect the greatest measure of earthly happiness that may be allotted to man in this veil of tears. The rest is in the hands of God. Nor will God be wanting to your needs. He will pledge you the lifelong support of his graces in the Holy Sacrament, which you are now going to receive. That reading comes from Archbishop William Brady. It's the old exhortation before marriage out of the 1962 Ritual Romanum. So every married couple that got married with this rite heard those words exhorting them to sacrifice and to joyful sacrifice. Now, of course, nothing's perfect and no time in history is perfect. And yet our culture doesn't do a very good job exhorting us toward sacrifice. And true love is life-giving, self-giving love. That's what we're called to. It's what uh, Pope St. Pope John Paul II talked about in his work, Love and Responsibility, and again in his work, The Theology of the Body, Male and Female, he created them, is this idea that the love of God is fully self-giving and life-giving, and that the love of husband and wife, the sacrificial love that we're called to, is also self-giving and life-giving. This is the great love that we are all called to, uh, but in a special way, we as husbands and wives are called to, to give to ourselves and to our children. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. For information and showtimes, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.